We can barely imagine the effort that Super Bowl teams as well as the individuals um, put in in order to get ready for the big game. Now, I'm most familiar with the little stuff, minor league, you know, basketball competition. I played in high school for the first time, you know, never, never really before that. Um, and we had some really awful performances. Uh, by the time I was a junior, I was getting to um, ride the varsity bench. Right, riding the pine. Um, getting called into the game off the bench was pretty rare in my junior year. And uh, I guess I had some success in my senior year, personal success, but we couldn't pull together a winning team. And we paid for it in practice. It wouldn't surprise me if I was told that we averaged 20 turnovers per game. And that next day in practice, we would work hard to pay off our crimes against the sport. My only real claim to fame was getting dunked on by a future NBA player. Uh, let's just say there was no real joy set before us of a bright future of basketball success that was an inspiration for us to focus on the preparation each week. Uh, the coach might have thought it was preparation, but it always felt like punishment. In college basketball, for our pregame warm-up, We'd jog and stretch and do some drills, and then we'd all hit the bench. They would introduce the starters, and then we'd huddle up for the pep talk from the coach, and then came the moment. There's a secret joy hidden in here for me. Uh, see, in college, we had those snapped together warm-up pants. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? So when the moment came, I'd try to hide the smile beneath my game-time seriousness, and and then the tearaway warm-up pants would be ceremoniously ripped off. It was game time. Well, church, if it ever was, it is now game time. If you were waiting for the moment that you would be activated, called off the bench, and out into the hope before you, it's now. We share a sincere expectation with the original hearers of this letter from Peter. We have a priceless inheritance waiting for us. We're being protected by God with a faith that will bring us to the day when Jesus will be revealed. It's all upward and onward, though now we experience suffering, even for clinging to this hope. But Peter He's going to give his action items in light of all he's declared up to now. It's all true. And it starts with taking off the warm-up suit, the tearaway warm-up pants. It's game time. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, our text for today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There are five very pointed exhortations here. I'm sure you caught them. Prepare your minds for action. Uh, be sober-minded or self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the, the future grace. Do not conform to evil desires. And then last, to really sum it up, be holy. <laughs> so let's look at all these exhortations, each one. Um, the one, prepare your minds for action. 
right? This literally means in the, in the original Greek, <laughs> try to track with this, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> so, okay, try it this way. Tuck in those long robes, tuck the long robes of your mind into the belt of truth because it's game time. Or, as I was trying to make the point earlier, if you have snaps on your warm-up pants, give them a rip, right? It's game time. You'll need your whole self engaged to maintain your faith under trial. Christians in conflict need a tough-minded holiness that is ready for action. With a firm grip on the reality of what Jesus will be bringing when he comes. Oh, we got to get our minds set, prepared for action. Scott McKnight says, Peter wants his churches to maintain a loose grip on this world and a tight grip on the world to come. Okay, prepare your mind for actions. Get your stuff together and let's go. Uh, the second one, be sober-minded or self-controlled. Now, a quick study of drunk people shows they don't have their full control of their faculties, right? That, that won't do for the people of God. But this goes further because it's a, it's a metaphor. As Tom Wright notes, believers are to be totally in tune with God's plan in history, so much so that they set their hope on the future and live in light of that day. People who look into the future and want to live completely in light of God's will do not want their eyes blurred by sin or other distractions. Sober-minded, alert. You're, you're paying attention to what God is up to, right? The third one, set your hope on the future grace. This is the fourth time in 13 verses that Peter has spoken of our Savior's return, right? And, and the final salvation the, the final stage that he's going to bring with him. So, do you long for the grace, the gift of that day? Do your prayers anticipate his return? Is your vision for the world big enough to require his return? Or are you somehow satisfied with the here and now? I'm in a nice house, in a nice basement, you know? I mean, what do I need here? Well, even the rich aren't truly satisfied, are they? When you ask a truly rich person, how much is enough? They respond, well, just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, most all of you are in the top 5% of the global rich list. You probably know that. Um, and if you make $70,000 personally, you're in the top 1%. Now, sociologists and, and when work with psychologists are saying that it's about that $70,000 level that helps with happiness. I mean, any poorer and you're struggling, but any richer, it doesn't actually add to your happiness. Well, that's interesting. And it's, it's not a sin to have money, but what is your hope set on? Where is your mindset? Are you prepared for action? Is your, is your hope set fully on the future grace? It's hard to follow Jesus when you have to guard your wealth. How many Christians that you know are living for the day, straining and talking about that day when they can just secure that next contract to reach some wild financial goal? Oh, that'll do it when I get this or when, I, when this happens or when they promote me to this, then, then it'll be good. I happen to know a few Jesus followers that have set personal goals to give 
a million dollars over their lifetime to plant 2,000 multiplying churches. Wow, that inspires me to set my hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read our passage again, and then we'll look at the last two exhortations. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so the last two. Do not conform to evil desires, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Interesting. It used to be that you didn't know what you were made for. And so you just lived however. You just did what everybody else did. When in a Roman colony, you do as the Romans do, right? Well, that's over now. Okay? Say it with me. It's over now. You're accountable for what you know. You're the pride and joy of your Father in heaven. You're not trash. You don't live like trash. So dust yourself up. Look your Father in the eyes and let Him remind you of who you are and whose you are. It's time to be obedient children and live into the inheritance you've been given. Coach Troy at Puget Sound Christian College pulled me aside after I had fouled out of a few games. I was playing my own exuberant version of basketball, but I was very ignorant of my impact on the team. No, it's just my, oh, it's my choices. I foul out, I don't play, whatever. He told me I was hurting the team. And after all, he put me on the court because he needed me out there to put our team in a position to win. I was kind of, I kind of felt honored, like, oh, oh, so, so I, you need me. When I played my own version of ball, I took myself out of the game. And I truly, honestly, I did not understand my importance to the team until that conversation. It really sticks in my mind. My ignorance was taking down others with me. And now Peter's coaching up the church, is warning them of something similar. He says, you can't just live any old way you want. You'll take the whole team down. Everything you do impacts the whole church. <laughs> do you believe that? No, you don't. You think your sins are personal and private? You think you can limit the destruction to just yourself? I want to challenge that perspective. Another way to say all that Peter's been describing is be holy or be set apart. That's our, that's our last one. So it's, it's holiness is all throughout all of this. Prepare your minds for action. Well, have your minds set apart from the temporary nature of this world and its things. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled. Well, that's keep yourself set apart with a clear vision. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your hope on the future grace. Well, firmly fix your expectation to the truth that's going to be revealed to those that are set apart when Jesus comes back, to the holy people. Don't conform to evil desires. Well, maybe that's even easier. Don't Let's just live as set apart. Not in the former degenerative ignorance, but in generating generative life. 
And finally, be holy. And that's a curious and misunderstood word, but it's very important we grasp the calling and the command to holiness. We're to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Think of it like this. If we're being drawn into fellowship with God, intimacy with the Trinity, we start to take on his nature. We take on the family characteristic. Okay. So think back with me. What, what was your family characteristic growing up? Be serious because your father is serious. Be hardworking because your mother is hardworking. Um, be funny because the father is funny. Well, the closer you get to God, the father, the more like him you will be. In this case, it's holiness we're focused on. Okay, does that, does that make sense? Holiness. Okay, set apart, separate, different because God is. Hmm. Peter is quoting passages from the Old Testament, and I'll just give you one of them, where God is warning about his presence among them. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. For I am Yahweh, your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves. For I am Yahweh, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. He's saying, get ready. I'm going to be in the midst of you. And you can't just do everything as normal or as the other nations do, because the very life-giving presence of the Creator God is going to be in your midst. Okay, think of it this way. The sun is good, right? Come on, Seattle, you can say the sun is good, right? We like it when we see it. It's the source of life. And, and yes, we want more of it, please. We want to see the mountains, at least. So we, but we put sunscreen on when we're exposed to the UV rays of the sun, right? But what would you have to do if the very sun itself decided to settle in your neighborhood? If you're going to live that close to it, you need to adjust your life, to say the least, Right? Holiness was the only way to live in order to play host to the presence of God. His power and his purity is the source of all life, and it sustains our existence. But his power and his purity can become dangerous to mortal humans corrupted by sin. So we have this paradox Right? And the paradox is seen most in, in the dangerous goodness of God's very presence living in the midst of Israel in the tabernacle and then the temple. When God arrived to deal and dwell with a sinful people, he required their obedience to maintain his presence among them. I'm not just going to stick around if you're going to act like that. He would show up in cloud and fire and glory. Okay, let me read a few passages of these very dramatic displays of God's holiness, as he was obviously holy, set apart from the other people. Exodus 40, verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Leviticus 9, 23 and 24, And Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of Yahweh appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before Yahweh and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Wow. 
Second Chronicles 7, 1, now in the, in the temple space, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Yahweh filled the temple. Wow. Now, keep those images of cloud and fire and glory in your mind. And let's remember what happened after Jesus lived and, and died, was buried, raised from the dead, and then ascended and took his place at the right hand of the throne of God as the true Lord of the world. What he sent his spirit, right? Look what happens. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, all these followers of Jesus were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now Peter's preaching to the churches and to us to, to form the perspective that we are now the temple, the hosts of God's presence. Do you get that? The very source of life is now living in us and empowering us to live out our hope in the everyday stuff of life. <laughs> Holiness, it turns out, is a vision for human flourishing connected to God. That's not, that's not stuffy. That sounds amazing. Now, my seatmate <laughs> flying back from Tampa um, is an anti-atheist. In our discussion, wow, okay, his vision for humans is do what you want, but don't harm others. And he's clearly, intentionally disconnected from the power to live out that kind of human flourishing because, at least currently, he's opposed to the life-giving source. But here we have the command, be holy, look upward, look outward, don't slip inward and downward, thinking you can isolate the destruction. Your compulsions and your addictions don't hurt anybody? Really? Is that what you're thinking? At a minimum, they steal your time, your energy, your availability from other people, from the kingdom, even as they poison the well water you're drinking from. Be alert, prepared, hopeful, self-controlled, obedient. Be holy. We are called holy he, he considers us holy, and we are called to be holy. He sees us holy. He says, live it out. A self-centered focus won't do. The one that's inward and downward. It keeps you from being a light to the world, the healing for the nations, the joy in the bleak midwinter. <laughs> Holiness is upward and outward. And there's an eternal trajectory there too, right? Inward and downward or upward and outward. Yeah, we call that heaven and hell. When Jesus makes his people holy and gives them his presence that marks them out as a new people, people of distinction, like stars in a dark night, like cities on a hill, people of life, not death, people who are generative and not degenerative, givers, not takers, lovers, not haters. Christians are called to extreme generosity and sexual purity. Would you say we have some room to grow? All right, now ask yourself this. Am I, personally, are we corporately participating in the life of the Spirit of God? 
Am I truly becoming the human God intended, fully connected to God? Are we living as people of distinction? Are we separating ourselves as those who have a sincere hope that affects our whole life? Do you live up to that? No, neither do I. That's why it's a calling. But listen, the goal isn't perfection here on earth. It's confession. Say it with me. The goal isn't perfection. It's confession. This message from Peter is a heart check and requires confession of sin to one another and confession as a church. If you're stuck in sin, understand you're not alone. But also understand this, your sin affects this church family. Now take a moment to talk with God about it. That's an important part of confession, but don't stop there. You need to live life out in the open. You are called to be holy, even as you are called holy. And James, the brother of Jesus, would encourage you to take this step today. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Whoa. That's your step today. Find someone to confess to. Before God, before others. We've got to come clean. We've got to live in life, the true life, the life that Jesus himself generates by his spirit. You may have heard that God can't be near sin. That's an interesting way to think about that. I think it's more like sin is exposed and eliminated by his presence. So we are called holy and we're called to be holy. So church, it's game time. If you're in Christ, it's time to come off the bench and live like the holy people you are.